0: Revelation chapter 7, pages 1661 on to 1662. Hear now the reading of God's word. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed the tribe of Judah 12,000 were sealed of the tribe of Reuben 12,000 were sealed of the tribe of Gad 12,000 were sealed of the tribe of Asher 12,000 were sealed of the tribe of Naphtali, <coughs> twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Manasseh, twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Simeon, twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Levi, twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Issachar, twelve thousand were sealed of the tribe of Zebulun. 12,000 were sealed of the tribe of Joseph. 12,000 were sealed of the tribe of Benjamin. 12,000 were sealed. After these things I looked, and behold a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered saying to me, who are these arrayed in white robes and where did they come from? And I said to them, sir, thou knowest. So he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation And washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall neither hunger any more nor thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. My friends, as we look at Revelation chapter 7, we do so, it's a two-part message then, we're looking at the first part of chapter 7, we do so with this theme The indestructible church worships God for his salvation. The indestructible church worships God for his salvation. Now we're continuing our series in the book of Revelation, and we are in this general section of what is called the seven seals, the general section of the seven seals. The first four seals as we noted brought forth four horses and their riders the white horse portraying the lord jesus christ going forth to conquer the red horse not merely warfare in general but religious persecution the black horse bringing famine and that pale that sickly green horse bringing death by unnatural means The Lord, of course, as we noted, directed and directs all of these distresses and calamities, all of these horrible things, as he triumphantly brings in the kingdom through all kinds of adversity. Jesus Christ sent out his horsemen, and as we noted, he still does. In the next section, we looked at the fifth and sixth seals under the theme, the Lord avenges his people who were put to death. Because of the word and their testimony. So chapter six, the fourth and fifth seals. The or excuse me, the fifth and sixth seals. The fifth seal reveals the martyrs of the faith who cry under the altar, How long, O Lord, how long? How long are we going to have to put up with all of this death and destruction? The sixth seal reveals God's vengeance against the enemies of his people, the enemies of his saints. You recall that we related this difficult passage to Matthew chapter 24 and the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. And particularly, we noted the use of that, what we call, apocalyptic language. That is to say, the idea of, of all kinds of, of symbols, strange symbols perhaps, of the blood of the moon turning into blood, this kind of thing, that that use of apocalyptic language indicated the overthrow of the Old Covenant system, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant system, and the effects of the rejection of Messiah by his covenant people, Israel. In other words, even though it sounds like it's the end of the world, in that particular context, it was being used, that type of language was being used to indicate how serious it was, to indicate how serious the situation was. And so the people crying out, How long, O oh Lord? How long, in terms of our. Our, our blood, how long before our blood is avenged. Now The backdrop for those first six seals is found in chapters 4 and 5. We've already seen in chapter 4, the father is on the throne with the four cherubim and the 24 elders offering up praise and worship to the creator. In chapter 5, the lion from Judah, the lion, rah, the lion from Judah, who is really the Lamb? Who is really the Lamb? Who alone is worthy to open the sealed book and thus to put God's plan into effect? It is the Lamb who stands, though he was slain. Worship is given him by the cherubim and the elders, by thousands and thousands, countless thousands of angels, and by every created thing. Now that's the background as we come now into chapter 7. And this chapter, we could say, is sort of like an interlude, sort of almost like an intermission, but in music, an interlude, you know, so you've got the major themes, and then you've got, you sort of pause, and you've got an interlude of music. You've got an interlude, and that's what you have here. There is evident connection with what went before. There's evident connection with what will follow. But this chapter, chapter 7, it's very important because it steps back, as it were, from all of these activities that we've been seeing. All these amazing things, children! All these amazing things. These horses that are being sent out, bringing death and destruction. The 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 souls of the martyrs crying from the altar. How long, O Lord? The the Lord Jesus opening the seals to put into effect all these things. This chapter now. Steps back from all of that tumultuous activity and asks the question Who shall stand? Who shall stand? Who will be able to survive these events? And the answer is it will be those who are the elect, it, is, it will be those who are the saints. It will be those who constitute the true church of Jesus Christ, which is indestructible. And as we shall see, once again, we have a very tough text in front of us. We think of the first three chapters, including the letters to the churches. We can think of those as maybe maybe the shallows where we can wave. So children, think of think of a you know you go to the to the public swimming pool or a pool at a hotel so you got the main swimming pool but you, have to, you also have the shallow the shallow pool right where you as a small child can step in and can wade in that pool so those are the first three chapters chapters 4 and 5 are where we've gotten into the main pool but we're still at the shallow end we can we can still touch the bottom But now, in chapter 6, and especially 7, we're going to have to learn how to swim. So this is much deeper truth that we are looking at. So today, we want to look at the first part of chapter 7, which is the sealing of the 144,000. The sealing of the 144,000. Notice the prologue here, after these things I saw. So John, in other words, John is, this is now another vision, is now another scene, if you will, if you look at it like a a play, this is now another scene, this is a different vision. What did he see? He saw four angels, these great, created, spiritual beings designed to be God's messengers and to do his will. And what are these four angels doing? They are standing upon the four corners of the earth. They are holding the four winds of the earth in order that no wind should blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. In other words, they are restraining these winds. Now, you know what it's like to to be in, um, in uh, very... Um, very powerful winds and that wind those winds can blow you over sometimes. And those winds are are symbolic then of all the stuff that we've been seeing in terms of all of these all these tumultuous events, all these these amazing things. But now they are standing in the four wind the four corners of the earth and they're holding back those four winds from blowing so that so that there's going to be peace and calm. What did he see next? He saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun, arising, ascending from the east. Now some commentators identify this messenger, this angel as the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe it is probably just another angel. But this angel then that ascends has the seal of the living God. Now, children, I want to ask you, just rhetorically then, what does a seal do? Well, the first thing we know that a seal does is it protects against tampering. I'm sure that you have seen a, you, you may have gotten a, uh, maybe a medicine bottle, and that medicine bottle is, is tamper-proof. For example, perhaps it has cellophane wrapping around it. Or again, if it, um, when you open it up, not only might it have cellophane to start with, but when you open it up, what is, what do you have? You have on top of it again another seal that you have to break. And what are you told if it, if the seal is broken? Don't use it because someone may have tampered with it. We've seen also how a letter can be sealed historically. You would take wax and you would put your imprint on it. You'd put the wax on the back of the envelope. So instead of like licking the envelope like we do today, people would take hot wax and they would seal the envelope and they put a, a stamp upon it showing the, that this is that this is from the person that has sent the letter. It hasn't been tampered with. So that's the first thing that a seal does. It protects against tampering. Number two, it marks ownership. It marks ownership. Now, if you go out west, if you go to Texas or a place like that, and you have a lot of cattle, what are you going to see on the side of the cattle? You're going to see a brand. That brand is going to indicate which ranch that cow is from course to get that how how do they do it they have to heat up that they have to heat up that brand in order that then they can stick it on the side of the of the cow and that cow then is is marked that cow is branded and it is also sealed you know the old saying seal it with a kiss it is sealed it is sealed and thirdly Thirdly, a seal certifies genuine character. So, children, when you get to uh, graduate from high school, you'll get a diploma. And on that diploma, there will be a nice, pretty seal (coughs) showing that, yes, you really did graduate from high school or junior high or whatever it may be. Perhaps some of you may be aware of the good housekeeping seal of approval. So Good Housekeeping says this is a good product, this is a, this is a good cleaner, this is a good soap, or whatever it is, and so that product will carry on the, on the, um, the container, will carry a gold seal showing that yes, this really is authentically approved by Good Housekeeping, the seal of approval. Now how does this apply then to Christians? Well first of all, we know that the Father, we know that the Father has sealed the believer. the Father has sealed the believer, for the believer enjoys the Father's protection throughout life. So we are protected. We are protected by God. He has sealed us. He's put a hedge about us. Number two, the sun has sealed us. The sun has sealed the believer. What? Having bought, having bought and redeemed him with his own precious blood. The sun has sealed him. The sun has sealed him and marks him as his own because the Son of God has bought and redeemed him with his own precious blood and the Spirit has sealed the believer certifying that we are the very children of God so we see then the threefold sealing you see how these are applied then it protects, it marks ownership and it certifies the true character of it But notice also that when it says here that having the seal, it's the seal of the living God. For you see, my friends, the dead idols could not and cannot help anyone. But the true God is alive. The true God is alive. He's living. He is a living God. He's not a dead idol. Well, this angel then who has the seal of the living God, who ascends from where the sun is, from the east, this angel cried out with a loud voice. What does he cry out? He cry, Well, he cries out, first of all, to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Do not do so. Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the slaves, the servants of God, on their foreheads, until we have sealed them, until we have marked them on their foreheads. To seal probably is the name of the Lamb and of the Father. Of course, we know in baptism that the name of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the one Uh, By in whose name we are baptized. Now, we read earlier from Ezekiel chapter 9. We read from Ezekiel chapter 9. In Ezekiel chapter 9, there is going to be judgment that is going to be coming. There's going to be judgment that is going to be coming to the rebellious people. But remember, in Ezekiel chapter 9, the Lord said to this man who had the writer's ink in cornet at his side, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark, put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. So, in other words, God's going to judge, and everyone who doesn't have that mark notice what it says utterly slay old and young men maidens and children little children and women you're responsible too but do not come near anyone on whom is the mark and begin at my sanctuary and so that's what that's what the same picture that we have here in Revelation chapter 7 God's servants are here being protected and preserved so don't harm Don't harm the earth, the sea, or the trees. Do hold back that wind until we've had an opportunity to go through and mark God's people so that they would be protected. Well, who is going to be protected? Our text tells us the 144,000. So 144,000 people were sealed, 12,000 from each tribe. So 12 times 12,000, of course, is 144,000. But notice something interesting as you look at this. Is starting in verse five. So we have 12 tribes of Israel that are listed. But notice that the order is jumbled. It's not the same order. Who was the oldest? Um, who is the, the uh, oldest uh, son? Well, we see here that Judah was not the oldest, but he was placed before Reuben because God had specifically chosen Reuben. Furthermore, two tribes are replaced. Dan, which was the first in its idolatry and its rejection of God, is replaced by Levi. And Ephraim, whose brother Manasseh is in the list, is displaced by Joseph the father. Now, as you probably are aware, there are different views of what is meant by the 144,000. The most significant of these, let's say incorrect views, would be the ones to be the one affiliated with the Jehovah's Witnesses. The Jehovah's Witnesses, my friends, deny who Jesus is. They deny the Trinity. They deny that Jesus truly is God. And that's one of their main problems, but they also have another problem. And that is that their view is that only, only 144,000 are going to heaven and the rest of Jehovah's servants will dwell in paradise on earth. Now we'll not get into why that is a wrong view. I'm simply going to mention that it is, is a false view. Now, this is as I as I look at this. What is meant by the hundred and forty-four thousand? Let me give you my own thoughts, based upon different commentators and so forth. The first thing I would note is that it is a definite number. It's a definite number. It's a hundred and forty-four thousand, and this therefore points to God's election. It points to the fact. That God knows exactly and he has numbered every one of his elect. And so it points to the fact of a definite number. There is; It can't be added to. It can't be taken away from. There is only the elect from all eternity. Secondly, it of course is symbolic, not literal. It is symbolic, not literal. Now, I'm sure you all remember that Uh, from the Olympics, that there are the highest scores possible. In some sports, historically, it's been six. If you get a six in that particular sport, then you, you get a perfect score. But in others, it's a 10. It's a 10. Now, you know when there's a great performance in that particular sport, you hear you know, you see the the different representatives of the nations and they give the grades, you know, 9.6, 9.8, 9.7, 9.9, 9.5, 9.2. And of course, a 4.3 from the East German judge, as you recall. But 10 is a number of perfection. And here, it's not just 10, it's 10 times 10 Times ten. It's ten cubed. It's a thousand. It is completeness multiplied upon itself and multiplied again. It is a perfect cube, if you will, as Revelation twenty-one sixteen tells us. But not only is it a thousand, but it's also twelve times twelve. Twelve again is one of those significant numbers. Three is the number of the Trinity and four is the number of the universe and you multiply these together to show that God is operating in the universe to perform his saving work. It's three times four. Twelve, of course, itself is a very special number in scripture. There are 12 tribes of Israel there are 12 apostles in the New Testament. And therefore, we have the old and the new brought together, but not just added to each other, like 24, like we saw before, the 24 elders, but now they are multiplied together. They are multiplied with each other. And so, 144. So we see then that God's people come into his kingdom as a result of, Of God's perfect work and grace. What's being symbolized then is the complete number of the elect from both the Old and the New Testament. But notice also something else that is, the order of and the particular tribes that are mentioned here. The order of and the particular tribes. This is an indication of God's grace and sovereign mercy. That is to say, just because you were first born doesn't mean you're going to be first in terms of grace. And that's what's being indicated. That's why it's jumbled, you see. That's why it's out of order. That's why you have one replaced by the other. And so therefore, we must not be presumptuous regarding grace. Children, you may have grown up in the church. You may be growing up in the church. But you dare not presume upon God's grace any more than the people of ancient Israel could presume upon God's grace. And so we have this this jumbled order on purpose to show that it is God who is the one who must show mercy. Notice also then that we cannot forget the parallel with, with Matthew chapter 24. The days of destruction in Jerusalem were shortened, we read there, for the sake of the elect. The Christians fled Jerusalem, Luke 21. And it speaks that Matthew 24 speaks of the gathering of the elect from the four winds. They have been sealed to protect them in these troublesome times, in these days of tribulation. These these people now can be brought in, the elect can be brought in from all ends of the earth as the gospel spreads. I have three points of application with regard to the living God. I want you to listen very, very carefully to what I'm going to say here. First point of application, it's a question. Are you acting like you are sealed by God himself? Are you Acting as like you are sealed by God himself are you behaving as if you are tamper proof are you behaving like that are you showing you're being owned by Christ having been purchased by his blood sealed with his blood and are you shining like a good housekeeping seal of approval showing forth that you are genuine that you are true in your profession? It's easy to say, oh yes, I believe. It's easy to say, oh yes, I I believe. But is it true? Is it genuine? Are you showing forth that you really have been sealed by the Spirit in terms of the way in which you live your life and in terms of the way by which you live your life because of love for God and what he has done for you. And so are you acting like you are sealed by the living God himself. Secondly, do you appreciate your relationship with the living God? Do you appreciate your relationship with the living God? When scripture speaks of the living God, it is speaking of an eternal being who is all-knowing and all-powerful. Jesus said, don't fear him who is able to kill the body. Fear him who is able to cast body and soul into hell. Furthermore, God knows everything. He knows everything that you've done, everything that you will do, everything you've thought, every thought you've had, young person, and older person. You know, I've, I've mentioned the fact that the older I get, the more sins I accumulate and the more grace I need. So, when Scripture speaks of the living God, it is speaking of an eternal being who is all-knowing and all-powerful. It is speaking of one who sacrificed in order that you may have salvation. It is speaking of him who chose you, if you are his, who chose you from before the beginning of time, In order to have a personal relationship with him, with you, to have a personal relationship with you, not a vague sort of belief in God, a personal relationship with you. When it speaks of the living God, it's speaking of the one who has planned all events and is directing them, directing them all, so that you will not be harmed. You are sealed, you are marked if you're his, so that you will not be harmed but rather preserved and protected. And my friends, therefore, do you appreciate that relationship with the living God? How does this affect your daily life? How does it affect how you live? How How you are at school? How you are at home? How you behave in church? How does it affect your worship? Private, family, and public. How does it affect who you are and how you act? Do you appreciate your relationship with the living God? And thirdly, never forget, never forget that the church is indestructible because God is the living God who will keep us both in time and for eternity. The church is indestructible. The people of God are indestructible ultimately because God is the living God who will keep us both in time and for eternity. May God be pleased to grant his grace to this message. Amen.